You are listening to The Mark Milton Show with a Smash. Hosted by former Department of Justice Tax Division Attorney Mark Milton, the STL tax lawyer. Here's Mark Milton. I should have been a cowboy. I should have learned to rope and ride. I'd be wearing my All right, welcome to The Mark Milton Show. Yeehaw. Here in the uh, STL Tax Lawyer HQ this week again with Smash and Solly. Smash, how you doing today? Buddy, I am feeling good, and I'll tell you why, man. I had dinner with your parents the other night over at the Mungo's out in Collinsville. And I got to tell you, your dad, your dad understands the etiquette of eating. Because <laughs> when oh he God. was going at the various, you know, things he was eating, he extended his pinky, which let me know that, indeed, he taught you well. Because when we go to Rosalita's or somewhere like that, then you, with the extended pinky, show me that there's a a sophistication like any one could never have other than your dad. (laughs) So you are a clone of your dad. So to you, that's what I see. How was his etiquette with the wait staff? Was it okay? Who's that? Sometimes my my dad. Oh, he canceled on us. (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) He he was behaved. He was good, man. He knew how to work that wait staff because if you treat the wait staff right, you will be handled with just a magnificent flair to your meat. As long as you hook them up with some nice, fresh ice water and a plate of lemons. Yes, that is true. They're good to go. That is true. They're good to go. I love watching your mom just kind of glance at him, you know, cocking her eyes sideways, looking at him and everything, because he ordered some of the weirdest looking stuff, man. I I couldn't even believe what it was. His artichoke hearts on top of veal and some sort of gravy on it, and we were just watching him just slop down on it, man. It was like magnificent to see well normally man enjoying his food like that normally he takes a photo and posts it on facebook i didn't he see did. it did he? i didn't see it he did i didn't see it did he tag you <laughs> are you guys friends have you gotten rid of a friend so you can add him because i know you had an issue with your five thousand. i think i've added him you've added him good deal well we're wasting time here we've got a very oh, yes. special darby guest today good friend darby wade grant darby do you still go with the full three three name name because i think that's pretty impressive I do. It's Darby Wade Grant or Darby W. Grant. All right. So, whatever you want. All right. Good deal. You know, that, uh, that, that three name deal, that's almost like an extended pinky. It's a sophistication. It's a, it's like a, not too many people have. It's very sophisticated. And Darby is with the law firm of Holtzman Vogel out in Washington, D.C., uh, Northern Virginia area. A good friend of ours from law school. We went to SLU together yeah. along with my wife, Ann Marie. Um, she's gone on to do bigger and better things. She's had an unbelievable. Uh, career uh, for being a young attorney. Um, Darby, I guess you moved out to D.C. I was already out there. You came out there and had a job with, was it the Social Security Administration? That's correct. Yep, yep. And then and you from, were there, I think, a year or two before me. Yep, it would have been a year. It would have been a year before, you know, because I was a big bad 2L when Darby and uh, my wife were one of us. And that's when I met uh, my wife. And May I ask a question of uh, Miss Darby? <laughs> sure. So, Darby, looking at uh, Mark Milton then and now, number one, what kind of law student was he? Was he a troublemaker? Was he a guy who was always getting, you know, juxtaposed uh, as far as uh, his legal is concerned? Or was he a student that allowed him to become the massive attorney that he is in the St. Louis area today? Mark's always been a big deal. He was always kind of the big man on campus. So... Wow. I remember I remember when Mark and Anne Marie met and 
they do you remember this mark at the halloween party yes i do and, <laughs> well we didn't meet there but go on <laughs> well so amory you know we're all getting ready we're one l's and amory is like you know i have this crush on this guy mark um and so you know halloween's a time where you think you would like dress up in kind of like a sexy costume or something if you're trying to press a guy no amory shows up in um like all these balloons sticking out over her body and she's great yeah and it was like it was so cute but it was just the funniest thing i was like okay you're gonna wear great to see your crush but she knew something I didn't, because obviously, you know, they're still going strong. Well, and I was the one dressed sexy that night, because I dressed up as a Chippendale. So oh, no. kind of reverse dynamic. Oh, no. The reverse dynamic. But it worked. <laughs> Smash, it worked. Uh, yeah. Darby, let me ask a quick question. At any time in the law school process, did Mr. Milton ever expose his briefs? God. It's all lawyer jokes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, we got a serious guest with me, some serious me, yeah. business to get to, Smash. Okay. So, Darby, you start with the Social Security Administration, but then you find yourself. This is what I want to talk to you about. I mean, she's got some amazing experience that I think the audience well, I will read find about it. very interesting. Yep. Um, you end up going to work in Florida, okay, during the 2016 campaign. We'll just kind of fast forward to that. Tell us about what you did there um, and how it's kind of shaped what you're doing now. Yeah, well, um, as you said, when I um, graduated law school, um, you know, I, I was interested in healthcare law, or I thought that's what I was interested in. So I went to D.C. and I worked at the Social Security Administration and really quickly realized I was not that interested in, um, in the SSA and in disability law and healthcare law and was sort of, you know, um, itching to get back into politics. And so... In 2016, I went down to Florida, and um, of course, as you know, the um, Trump versus Hillary campaign was going on, but also uh, Marco Rubio was running for Senate, and the time that I went down there, um, I was really helping Rubio out, but um, at this point, he was no longer running for president. He was running for Senate again, and... um, so kind of all of the Republican party kind of all actually got together to help each other out. And so I ended up not just working for Rubio, but also with the Trump campaign and found myself on election night in Miami in the Florida legal war room for the Republican party. And um, I believe the polls closed at 7 p.m., and by 7.30, Marco Rubio had declared victory. <laughs> so um, we all were, you know, went down to his, um, we were all in the, the hotel where the war rooms were and then where the big parties were. And so we went down and heard Rubio's victory speech and just sort of thought, that's the win for the night. You know, we got the win. Um, I went back up to the legal war room and my boss at the time was like yelling into her phone. She's like screaming at someone. And then part of the yelling was Darby did that. Darby did that. And I'm like, Oh wait, what? What's happening? And um, little did we know she was on the phone with the Trump team up in Trump tower in New York. And we were getting the returns back and they were looking much stronger for Trump than predicted. And 
you know, Trump had to win Florida to win the 2016 election. And so um, there was probably about 15 minutes where the Trump campaign was freaking out about Florida. And then they quickly moved on to Pennsylvania and the upper Midwest states. Um, and uh, we knew Florida uh, had won for Trump, but the media would not call it. And I was up till like 3 a.m. that night um, because we were waiting for the media to call Florida. And once they did, then uh, it was all over and Trump won and no one, no one thought about it. So no one thought that was possible. Incredible. I mean, when you think about, about that, that, night, that night, I was crying in the corner that night because I lost my state rep race. But Trump, I remember, I'll never forget, we were at home and we're watching the, these states come in and you can almost see like the MSNBC and the C like I like to flip around and kind of see yeah. what they're, how they're reacting. And this is almost like the, this devastation that, yeah. that Trump started picking up mm -hmm. Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan. I mean, it was really just an unbelievable night. They were stunned. They were stunned. Yeah. So, the, so you obviously, you know, made, made an impact on not only the Rubio race, but you know, when you're running a Senate race, you're also, there's a certain element of helping the presidential race too, right? You're hoping to drive out Republican voters and, you know, help exactly. up and down the ticket, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. So then from there, you, you get a job with, I mean, how, how did you end up working in the, uh, the, the Trump white house or the, uh, the Trump administration? Right. So after that, um, my, my boss in Florida, she actually became general counsel of the presidential inaugural committee. And there's kind of two standard ways to get into a presidential administration right at the beginning. And one is the transition team. And the transition team um, is set in place to help with pretty much all of the um, incoming political appointees to all the different agencies, like Department of State, Treasury Department, HHS, et cetera. Um, but then there's also the presidential inaugural committee and we literally put on the inauguration. Um, and most of the staff from the PIC, as it's called, P-I-C, um, they all then went into the White House. And so that kind of opened the door for me to get a job kind of right at the beginning of the Trump administration, which I got to tell you was like the Wild West, because, again, no one thought he would win. And um, when you go into a new administration, I've actually talked to people um, in the Biden administration about this as well. But I mean, it's really like a startup. You know, you, you come in and you have to set up your office from scratch. And so it, it was pretty incredible um, all that we did in that first year, um, again, after no one thought we would win. So um, my first job was kind of a unique job. It was one of my, my favorite jobs I've ever had, though. I was director of all of the presidential gifts, uh, gift protocol. Um, Explain what that means, Darby, because this is something I remember. We, we actually. It's a party list. No, it? no. This, this, what is this, is a, this is, I think, one of the most fascinating things ever. And we actually got to visit Darby in her office and we got to see yeah. <laughs> some of these gifts that people send the president unsolicited a lot of times uh -huh. like and they have to deal with it legally right from an ethical standpoint exactly. you guys have to figure out how to handle it exactly yeah i mean you just wouldn't or i never really thought about like sending the president a gift you know from my my house but a lot of people do <laughs> and they really send in these elaborate elaborate gifts where i mean they've just spent a lot of time you know, creating these elaborate quilts or paintings, 
they there's a lot of people that clearly like are on Amazon and they're thinking the president's got to read this book and they'll just send it. Um, and yeah, you can't, we, we have to intake them. You have to appraise them. We send people thank you notes. And then um, we uh, save a lot of them for the National Archives, which will then go um, typically to the presidential library. Mm. Um, but, but the other aspect of the job, too, is we deal with all the, the foreign gifts from state officials. So when the president goes and meets you know, the head of state, there's always a gift exchange. And so that was really cool to see those um, you know, diplomatic gifts as well. So Darby, smash again here at any time, and I don't mean to incriminate or anything like that, but at any time, did you find an excess of gifts and do a Nancy Pelosi and take them home with you or anything like that? Um, no, smash as, as a lawyer, I probably wouldn't want to yes. do that. But that too. That too. <laughs> yeah. What were some of the coolest things uh, yeah. that President Trump received from people? Or, or weirdest, I guess you yeah. could say, too. Received weirdest. any... Any weapons by chance? Well, actually, from foreign officials, um, they did sabers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, from the general public, you know, um, a lot of people, when you know the the wall was um, really in the news, people would send in bricks to help build the wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the my favorite one was, um, and this actually was tough to like physically get into the White House. We had to go through all different ropes with Secret Service. But um, uh, someone wrote in from Florida that they had this spectacular gift to give to the president. And we got it in and opened the box. And it was actually uh, an alligator skull that was mounted and it said drain the swamp. Ah, and so that was one of my funny, funniest ones. That's funny. That's funny. Let me ask you this. Um, Kellyanne Conway, you uh, met her a time or two working at the office over there? Yeah. All right. Yes. So I ain't saying nothing wrong. I'm just wondering. I haven't seen her in a while. And she was Kellyanne Conway. And then I happened to be watching Hannity the other night and she was on. It's kind of like, and I ask you, do you think she's had some work done? <laughs> Don't answer that, Darby. I, <laughs> I guarantee a lot of a lot of folks have had a lot of work done. Uh -huh, yes. You see, there's she it looked is beautiful. Ugly Hollywood. She looked beautiful. What'd you call it? What Hollywood? The ugly Hollywood. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> that was. Well, yeah, we used to. Yeah, she looked beautiful. Well, she is coming out with a new book, so so I believe that. Well, maybe we'll get her on the show, Smash, and you can ask her that Kelly question. I'm sure that I'll wouldn't be her. that wouldn't be offensive. I at asked all that of Ava Gabor one time. You to ask. Her. I did for you to ask that. So, Darby, I remember we visited you. I, one of the things I there was like a huge, uh, like an and like a Thor anvil, or, or uh, what do you call that? Like the giant Thor hammer. The hammer. Yeah, thing. it was just yeah. crazy to see all the paintings yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Really. So, um, was there anything? I mean, did did President if if President Trump wanted to, could he put these on display or like what? Like you know, if something like the alligator head, like is that like what are the what are the rules on stuff like that? Yeah, you know, the, the gifts are um, given to the office of the president. And so while um, he is president, he can accept the gifts. And so that's, that's why we go to painstaking like, links to categorize them and appraise them and all that. Um, but, but yeah, there was actually, um, it was the Friday before Labor Day in 2017. And 
I was sitting in the office and it's late on a Friday, holiday weekend. A lot of staffers are gone on vacation and all that. And I get a call from the president's executive assistant. And she said, hey, Darby, can you run over these gifts that the president wants to see? And so I'm thinking, okay, great. I'll bring them over to her, drop them off, and, you know, he can look at them. Um, so I go over there and where the executive assistant sits, it's called the outer oval. So there's an office that's like literally right outside the oval office. And so I walk in there and, um, I'm kind of showing her the gifts and I look out of the corner of my eye into the oval office and the president is sitting there working at the resolute desk. And I'm, you know, starting to kind of like really get excited. I'm like, oh my gosh. And a lot of times presidents don't like actually work out of the Oval Office. They have a side office um, that's kind of back in the, in those chambers. And the Oval Office is a bit more ceremonial. But it was funny because the president was working there um, late on the Friday before Labor Day. And he kind of looks up and he sees like there's something going on in the outer Oval. So he comes out and he just starts asking all sorts of questions. And he's just exactly like, what you see on TV and just really funny. And he also knew, I mean, he knew exactly what the gift office was. He was aware that he had at that time, I think he had just gotten back from China. So he was asking all about the gifts he had received from China. And then, um, China, the particular, China. Yeah, China. Um, the particular gift that he, uh, wanted back was, um, Justin Trudeau from Canada had given him a framed photograph of President Trump with Justin Trudeau's father from like 20 or 30 years ago. Who was also the prime minister, I believe. And so that's what um, the president wanted back to kind of put on display in his office. So um, the other thing he really, really loved was um, his military coins. So um, he always had those on display in the Oval Office as well. See, I think that story is amazing because when I look at this president now, I mean, the guy is literally the shell of a person. It's like they they bring him out for X, Y, or Z, and then you feel like he just goes back into sort of hiding. Whereas, like, I always got the feeling Trump was, like, working. You know, the guy actually took the job seriously, and, he, you know, whatever you think about him personally or – the way he tweeted it or whatever. I mean, I feel like he legitimately worked. Did you see that when you were in the, you know, in the, in the West wing, when you were working there? I mean, did you, did you get Uh, that sense? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, he worked tirelessly and I got to say he was wonderful to work for. I mean, it, it, it's a really thankless job and especially being um, a, a lot of us who were staffers in that first year. I mean, it was really, really brutal the way we were treated. And I just always vowed to never treat anyone the way that we were all treated. Because, like, if you look at what's going on with Biden, I don't think that anything was passed in his first year. And if you look at what Trump was able to do in that environment, it was pretty unbelievable. When you see the slings and arrows that were coming to Trump in the office there, what did, uh, how did the folks in that office take to the way the president was getting beat up? Well, I think that um, at the very beginning, you know, you did see a lot of burnout from people. And, you know, at probably like 
more closer to 18 when you had Sarah Huckabee Sanders come in and she's such a pro with her dad. I mean, she's been around it. I think you do have to have a sense of like armor to not let it bother you. Um, But it's easier said than done. That's for sure. Like when you're getting attacked by Tony Messenger in the (laughs) 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 post-dispatch. We're not going there. Um, so you, so the direct, director of gifts job, you, you eventually, I mean, you, you get promoted from there, uh, to the West wing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I got promoted into the white house counsel's office and in particular, I was working, uh, for Ty Cobb, who's the special counsel, um, on the Mueller investigation. Great mustache. So like He's got a great mustache. A big mustache. <laughs> um, he made it onto SNL, which was big because they made fun of him for looking like the Pringles man, the guy on the Pringles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but that was like a full 180 because it went from the gifts, which I really got to know everyone all throughout the White House and um, got to see a lot of positive you know, messaging from the public who were sending, sending in really wonderful things to then the Russia investigation, which was incredibly serious. And, um, but the cool part was I got to actually work out of the West wing. So that's, that's cool. That was yeah. Nice. So in that role, I mean, you're, you're helping respond to yeah. subpoenas and other requests from the Mueller investigation. Yeah, correct. And, um, you know, I was a lower level attorney, so doing all the document production and all that, but, um, uh, the, the kind of cool thing I got to do was, um, at the time, you know, um, Mueller had an office in an undisclosed part of D.C., and, you know, we had to physically bring the documents over to him. And it's just sort of funny, like, before the I worked in the West Wing, you just kind of think things, like, can easily happen. You're in the West Wing, right? Um, but no, like, someone actually has to do all the admin and protocol stuff. And so I was the one who was carrying the documents over to Mueller. And I remember just thinking like, don't drop anything, like don't let anything blow in the wind. Um, and uh, eventually the the press picked up where his office was. So Mueller's team would call us and be like, oh, the press is outside. Can you meet at this corner instead? Um, so that was kind of cool. It felt like a little spy-like especially because the office was in like just a very kind of eerie part of DC where like nothing was going on. And then there was this office building with, you know, the largest investigation in the country going on at the time. (laughs) Well, and you're in the heart of it there in DC. I mean, I spent four years out there. You've been out there for what, man, how many years now? Eight, Uh, nine, 10. It's been like nine years. I can't believe it. That is great. And you're, are you still over in the, uh, Near the Nats Park, the south, the riverfront area? Or did you move? No, I moved I moved to Capitol Hill. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Union Pub still there? Still going strong? Union Pub still going strong, but Capitol Lounge closed during the pandemic. Uh, I, I had heard that. I don't know if it was the pandemic or the rats that they had. They had a pretty bad <laughs> rat. They had a pretty disgusting <laughs> rat problem. But they had some of the best chicken wings in the Capitol, in my opinion. A lot Capitol of Lounge. rats in D.C., Mark. Yes, yeah, there are a lot um, of rats, real and the proverbial. I tell you right? what, but that's—I I got DC is where I got fat. I know Smash was at the DC one hundred and one. I, I worked at DC one hundred and one uh, radio over there for a long, long time, Darby, and that's where I got fat because it started with this Chinese restaurant I that thought- was around the corner, and then an Indian <laughs> restaurant after that. And I started eating all that stuff, man. International food. You ever eat that uh, food 
from Ethiopia where you have to sponge bread the whole thing? Oh, oh yeah. Magnificent, man. Well, here's the problem with D.C., though, okay? I, I don't feel like I got fat there. One of the reasons was because their buffets aren't really buffets, okay? So you That's have, where you're eating, man. No. See, you're like, up at DuPont Circle. They don't put out much food at DuPont they call, Circle. They call them buffets where you go in. I'm trying to think of the name of the place uh, by my old office. And you'd go in, and you'd fill up your styrofoam thinking this is a buffet, uh-huh. and then they weigh it. And you spend like $30 <laughs> on like three pounds of food. Like, that's not a buffet. And I remember the first right. time it was an Asian lady working. She's like, no, this is not. She's like, no, not all you can eat. It's just a buffet. You buffet. take your you take your food. Yeah. Now, wouldn't that be a cafeteria? Then? Well, that's what well, I that's said. a good point. Well, that's, don't call it a buffet. You're, you're at an MCL. So I was very, uh, so I didn't eat many buffets in D.C. because yeah. you pay with a pound and that gets pretty expensive. Well, so uh, that's a great place to eat food from all over the world. Some of the best restaurants. Yeah. Old Abbott Grill, we used to hang out there. <laughs> yeah. We Darby, to- let me ask you a question. Uh, without uh, being rude or anything, uh, you've been in D.C. nine, ten years now. You say, how much do you weigh nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I gained a lot of weight during the White House days. A lot of us oh, did, okay. unfortunately. But luckily, it's, it's coming off now. Um, <laughs> Jesus, but I have to say, Just ignore him. He's not serious. He's not <laughs> no, serious. But- I was going to say, that's one thing that I love listening to you guys um, when I listen to the Mark Moulton podcast. Look at that. Smash because, nice. because Rosalita's, and then I always think about all the St. Louis food. I mean, I think St. Louis is way better food than D.C. I agree. So, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think and I've talked to people, even New Yorkers that have been in St. Louis a long time. I, they even will acknowledge that St. Louis mm-hmm. has some of the best restaurants. Yeah. Italian. I mean, especially the Italian food, which I love. Yep. You got a great, yeah. you know, the authentic Mexican places like Rosalita's, yeah. outstanding. Um, so let's get back, let's oh, yes. get back on track. <laughs> so, Darby, you go to White House Counsel's office. Talk about uh, the next step from there, because I know you're at a law firm now doing doing great work, but um, you end up leaving the White House, you know, around, I guess, around the time of when, when I guess, it was, there's normal attrition, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the average political appointee is about 18 months, which is about what I did. Um, a lot of people like to stay in the White House a bit longer because it's the White House, but I, I was ready to leave. Um, and I really realized I love the campaign side. And so that's why I really am a campaign finance election law lawyer. And I went to Holtzman Vogel, where um, in 18, we represented Rick Scott, again, down in Florida, who had a major recount. And so um, that's the type of stuff that kind of election law lawyers get involved in. And then um, in 2020, I did a stint at the National Republican Senate Committee. So that's the like Republican arm of all the Senate races. And um, the most recent thing that we're super proud of is um, we just represented uh, Glenn Youngkin in the governor's race for Virginia. So um, that was pretty wild because you know i think biden won virginia by like plus 10 if not more than that and then one year later you have a republican winning in a blue state for the first time in you know close to 10 years so that was um that's any indication of 2022 i'll take it yeah that i mean that race really was fascinating because virginia used to be it's kind of interesting like missouri and virginia i feel like we're kind of the purple states for a long time could go either way in a presidential. Missouri's told turned totally red. Yeah, Virginia, from my standpoint, kind of turned blue. And I think a big reason for that is the growth of Washington D.C. You had a lot of people move into Northern Virginia, 
they tended to be more liberal minded. Right. So what was it, Darby, about Glenn Youngkin um, that allowed him to, you know, I guess win win over the moderates, maybe even the, um, you know, more conservative Democrats to win that race? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I kind of think Virginia is almost like in Illinois now where you have like northern Virginia, you know, in Illinois Cook County that is kind of rules the state for the most part. Um, and so I was thinking about this, like January of last year, I did not even really know who Glenn Youngkin was. I was just um, getting to know him as a client and he really wasn't even supposed to win the primary. There was another um, candidate, Pete Snyder, who was the, the favorite to win. Um, and uh, in Northern Virginia, that's pretty much all you heard. But, but when he went out to the actual state and, you know, Richmond area, Virginia Beach area down there, they were all talking about Glenn Youngkin. And, I mean, he's not – this is his first time ever running. He's not a politician. He's a business guy. did really well um, as a businessman. And um, once he won that primary over the summer, you know, you really felt a sense of more unity within the party, people really supporting him. Of course, schools were a major issue. Um, and I would say like a week out, I thought, huh, I think we can do this because he ran against Terry McAuliffe, who, you know, already was a Virginia governor. He also is very close with the Clintons. And so he he's a total buffoon, never... right? I mean, that guy's yeah. just a clown. He, and, and, you know, people want new politicians. You know, they don't want the same, you know, people again and again. And he already had his turn as governor. And he just was not relatable where, where Glenn really was. And he's really now um, seen as the template for other governor's races. I think there's 36 governor's races in 2022, which is pretty unbelievable. And so for Republicans, you know, a lot of people are looking at him. The other thing is um, he really invested in election integrity, which, of course, is now a really hot topic. And what that means is, you know, in Virginia, there's not just Election Day. There's 45 days of voting, which is one of the longest in the country. Really? And so we had to start back in September 17th. Um, acting as if it was like actual election day because people could start voting. And so um, Holson Vogel and the Yunkin campaign developed uh, a uh, poll watcher and volunteer attorney group that lasted all the 45 days. We had over 200 volunteer attorneys, thousands of poll watchers on the ground that were trained, you know, watching um, these polling places. And the whole point is just to make sure that they're following the law when people vote, who should be able to vote. And I think because of all of that, people felt really confident that it was a fair and free election. And then um, I think that it also motivated our voters to get out and vote. You know, here at the Mark Milton Show, Darby, they call me the great Smashtradamus, predictor of the future. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, you're a campaign lady. I'm going to ask you, here's what I'm thinking, that Donald Trump goes along, goes along, goes along, and then... When it's election time, it's Don Jr. who runs. What do you think? Whoa, whoa. You know, I, crazier things have happened. Um, I haven't thought about that one. Now, this, um, is, this is my take. This is, and take it for what it's worth. I think you go Ron DeSantis, Ivanka as the VP. That's what I, I think if there's a Trump on the ticket, yeah, that could be the point. play. That's that could be point. the play. Take Come from Florida and take the world by storm. Good point. 
So Darby, so the, you do the Glen Youngkin race. I mean, you're you're involved in all kinds of different stuff. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with Holtzman Vogel, the kind of work you guys do. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we pretty much do everything across the board in political law. We represent campaigns. We represent nonprofits. We represent super PACs. Um, but um, I think that our next big thing, you know, of course, is looking for 2022 with all of the um, – the midterms. Um, I think that Republicans are going to win the House. I think we have a good shot at winning the Senate. And um, we, um, you know, are working a lot with a lot of those governor's races throughout the country as well. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. There's still a lot of time between now and November. So a lot can change. Like in 2020, I thought President Trump had a shot at winning. And then, of course, COVID hit and, um, you know, the world changed. So, well, now you got um, the Supreme of- Court, this uh, Justice Breyer. I wanted to get your thoughts on that because yeah. I think, here's my take. I think the Republicans would be wise to just let him nominate somebody, get it through, and move on to 2022. Because I, I think if you create a distraction by doing a protracted uh, uh, challenge to the nominee, yep. it, it jeopardizes the midterm. I don't know if you can comment on that or not, Darby, but I guess in general— I mean, you've been around Washington when there's been other Senate confirmations of, of justices. What does that look like? What have you, you know, from your friends in the, on the mm-hmm. Senate side? I mean, that's an intense process if it's going to be, you know, really, uh, you know, fought hard. Yeah. And, and I think the timing of this is so odd, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's, it really, it, you know, what I'm seeing throughout the news and, and different folks and what I'm hearing is that, you know, this was kind of like leaked potentially from the White House or, you know, it's certainly the news did not come directly from Justice Breyer initially. So that makes me question a lot. You know, the Biden administration, there hasn't been a lot of good news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if this is what they can see as unifying. Um, The other confusing thing about it is that, you know, he's still on the bench and the session doesn't end until June. So that's a lot of time between now and then. There's some pretty major cases, like the abortion case. I mean, so what does that mean? Also, um, now that now that he's announced he's retiring, then of course there's the speculation of the short list of people that Biden will nominate. And if he doesn't pick, you know, announce who's going to pick, and then try to roll that through the confirmation, there there could be months of, you know the Republican side doing opposition research on all these people. And, and that is months of research that can be brought up during confirmation hearings. So, um, you know, I, I think the whole thing is really, really interesting, but, but I'm with you, Mark. I mean, I, you know, depending, depending on who is nominated, I don't know if this is the hill to die on for us or not, but I know our voters seem to be much more engaged with these nominations. Um, than the Democrat side. Well, here's what I'm asking, Mr. Milton. Sure. Do you see the uh, scenario of Mr. Biden, President Biden, getting rid of Kamala Harris, putting her in as a judge, and bringing on somebody else as as the VP? No, I don't. I don't think he would do that, because I think she would have a harder— I I think he would be better at getting someone confirmed that's not Kamala Harris, because I don't think she's very popular, number one. Although he did say— which I think is unbelievably offensive, but I'm not going to get into this too much. But he had committed to, he said he's going to appoint an African-American woman to the Supreme right. Court. Like, he said that. So I feel like 
I don't know. I mean, it's affirmative action, right? Do you agree with that or not? I mean, it, to me, it's it, Solly shaking his head. No, the so, the socialist Solly's disagreeing well, with that. Yeah. Let's I hear mean, your take. I would, I would love to see a black woman yeah, nominated, yeah, but sure. you don't say that because your number one goal for any That's position, right. especially a Supreme Court position. Look, if there were a thousand justices, would I have a problem with that? Absolutely not. But if you only have the nine Supreme Court justices, then you need to pick the person you think is best for the job, whether they are male, female, black, white, brown, blue, green, polka dot, you name it. But that's the problem. The, the left, they just see everything through the lens of race. And and when you say things like that, I think that's racism. That's racism. I could go on a 30-minute rant about why we need to do more, but not everything can be seen through that idealistic vision. But how would you feel if you're the you're the nominee? You'd always question, am I really the best qualified? Exactly. Because you've come out and said, I'm only going to— I'm well, going to make $480,000 for being a Supreme Court judge. I don't care whether they think I'm qualified or not. I think I think as a white male, I could sue. Isn't that discrimination? You would think so. If you say as a government person, I'm only going to hire a black female, how is that not discrimination? Oh, I, I think it is. And again, if he wants to say, I will consider, you know, minority candidates, great. But at the end of the day, you need to justify that your pick was the best candidate available, not the best black female candidate. We'd like to get back to Darby Grant. Who is <laughs> Darby Wade here. Grant. Yeah. <laughs> so Darby, no, but like, what, it, like when they had these, you were in Washington when they had the, you know, hotly contested Kavanaugh hearings and, and um, I mean, it doesn't, it's just so destructive, right? I mean, on, on the Hill, how, how damaging is that to um, the ability to get anything done? Yeah, I mean, that certainly will be the narrative. And I know during the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, the White House set up um, an office just for this confirmation, meaning there was a communication staffer only responsible for Kavanaugh. There was a political person. There was a legislative affairs person. There was a public affairs person. And then, of course, there were the different White House counsel who were responsible for all the vetting. And there was a whole office set up in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, which is the White House office building where the majority of the staff work. And they, it was solely dedicated to Kavanaugh and as well as Lynn Gorsuch um, was nominated and Amy Turner Barrett. So I imagine Biden will do something similar. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, Kavanaugh was, was really really controversial obviously so you know he got through but but you know what it was controversial but i also feel like it was manufactured and i don't feel like the republicans take that approach when it comes i mean you think back about obama's appointees i don't remember there being you know just the vitriol and the and the you know just outright hatred towards his nominees like there was for trump's nominees And I hope people see it now. I mean, a lot of those groups are paid. They are paid protesters. They're not just coming up from like random states just to protest because they just want to. They're paid. And that's what you see a lot, that they get on the news and they yell and scream. And they're not just doing it as volunteers. So I hope that that message gets out a little bit more. Well, we really appreciate you being here. We've taken up a lot of your time. I know you're busy. We appreciate you being on this most show. <laughs> I can't talk to me. Smash, what do you got? Smash, go I just had one last question of uh, Darby, and uh, that is, when you and Mark Milton were going to law school together, any truth to the rumor that a lot of his research work involved watching reruns of Judge Judy? 
not say I will say 100% true. I would watch I would always if I needed to get revved up for a final or something I would watch a few good men I would watch oh yeah yeah I would watch Daniel Caffey yeah you know that final scene if I really needed to get get pumped up beautiful because you know I'm a litigator first smash that's what yeah. our buddy Tony doesn't understand I may be a tax lawyer but first and foremost, I'm a litigator, so he doesn't seem to understand that. I guess the DOJ just no, hires anybody. So you Mark, know. Mark and his friends had a little crew. They were like the cool kids in the law school. <laughs> walked around with their backpacks. <laughs> we did. Like, I had a backpack. I had a backpack. A law school is like I high school. Backpack. It's literally like you go back to high school. You go from college. Yeah. And no briefcases? No. You wore a really? backpack. Everyone really? And it's actually kind of astonishing how poorly people dress, too. Like, you don't. People didn't dress up necessarily yeah. for him. Although I've seen some people, and I've been back to SLU or other schools, and I'm like, and maybe you should dress up a little bit. I mean, I never wore, like, sweatpants, but some people wear, like, sweatpants. And Oh, Smash is wearing sweatpants. You can't see him darty, but Smash has his normal sweatpants. It's a whole velour outfit. But that's what we call in the radio business. You see, we didn't mess with law school or anything. That's, that's what right. we call... Business casual. That is exactly right. <laughs> dress for, dress yeah. for success. Well, Darby, Darby Wade Grant, we appreciate you being on the Mark Milton Show at the Smash and Sally. You can check her out at HoltzmanVogel.com. Anything else you want to you want to tell people? Uh, no, just thank you so much. You guys are awesome, and it always makes me feel like I'm connected to home whenever I listen to your podcast. Oh, that's so nice. That's so Keep nice, Darby. All right, we'll let you go. We'll talk Thanks, to you Darby. later. Thanks all. Bye. All right. Bye. The great Darby Wade Grant. That was awesome. See, a lot yeah. of insight. I feel like hopefully people find that informative because I feel like I remember visiting her at the White House. We yeah. got to go into the White House, do the West Wing tour, right. which they do at night, which yeah. is kind of interesting. That's right. And there was a part of me when we were there that was like, man, I'm, like, what if Donald Trump walked in right now? Like, it wouldn't have surprised me yeah. if he would have somehow come into the West Wing, mm-hmm. like to go to the Oval Office or something. And she had told me that before that he actually worked from the oval a lot of those guys don't do that and he right. would get in there and he would actually work from there right yeah well, and best thing about a donald trump as a president with his ego and personality if you're a visitor you never know when he might have that need for attention <laughs> but but what you're saying i do think like he is engaging i mean the guy exactly he's a genuinely engaging person and i think what's interesting there about the trudeau story like i feel like other world leaders genuinely liked him like, I think they they might have been put off by some of his antics, but I think, A, he was respected. B, he was, I mean, I think liked deep down. I mean, it, it was a it was a it maybe a like that derived out of respect. But, I mean, what's going on right now with Putin? I mean, these guys just wouldn't, he wouldn't do that if Trump was president. Well, you know what the shape Threat of that, that whole invade. deal in uh, Ukraine is, personal opinion, of course, is that we, the United States, could possibly be going over there to protect that border. It's not happening. When we ain't doing squat on our border. I know. It's crazy. I don't, we're not going to war with Russia. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I think Putin, 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 I always, I always struggle with that. He's going to try to extract whatever he can, I think, in terms of not going in there. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's going to get some kind of a deal where, you know, they agree not to let Ukraine into NATO and, you know, whatever else he might take. And, right. and you know, the energy, I mean, look at gas prices. Yeah. They're already insane. Can you imagine Terrible. if there's a conflict, how, how much higher gas prices will go? That's right. And we killed the pipeline here in the U.S. We allowed his pipeline to go through Europe. It's a total disaster. But the media just gives Biden a total free pass. Yeah. It's insane. It is. He has nothing to point to. You know, but it's not insane because it's the norm now. Uh, but it, I don't norm. 
Terrible. I, I don't believe. Well, I hope it's not the new norm. But I mean, when you watch these other networks, it's just incredible to me that the lengths they go to to bend over backwards to act like this presidency is not a complete disaster. How'd you feel when he called uh, uh, Steve Ducey's kid the, a stupid son, son of a son bitch? Of a, that was killer. Uh, he actually looked pretty lucid in that moment. I will give him that. <laughs> right. At least he looked like a real person when he said it. But you know what's funny about that is. Biden was this guy who, you know, wasn't going to be a name caller, was yeah. going to bring people together. It's like, that's him. That is yeah. who he is. That's yeah. what, if anything, it showed me who Joe Biden truly is. He's not a good person. He's not this, oh, Uncle Joe that is, is you know, yeah. nice to people. I mean, that was a total dickheaded comment. And I think he's a dickhead. So we'll end the Mark Mellon show with that because now we're podcast only so I can say dickhead. I don't know if that's uh, allowed per FCC or not, but we're not on the radio, so... If we're talking about Mr. Head, then I think it's okay. All right. Well, this has been the Mark Milton Show with the Smash. One segment only this week. We had a great interview with the great Darby Wade Grant. That was good. Uh, her mom, uh, Pamela Wade Grant, is actually from West Frankfurt, which I think oh, really? Lady Chop Chop, if I'm... Lady Chop Chop's in that area. Was also her, par- her parents are both University of Illinois grads, uh-huh. the great Jim Grant, yeah. chemical engineer. So uh-huh. appreciate her being on the show. This is the Mark Milton Show. Sally, thanks for producing. Thanks for being here. Smash, as always. Thanks for the inappropriate questions. Those were those were really, uh, <laughs> really, really great. Really enjoyed putting her on the spot like that. This is the Mark Bill Show. Listen to us anytime on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.